2: your refrigerator after a long day seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge the answer is no there's nothing better that's why when it's time to chill you choose Coors Light it's mountain cold refreshment made to chill Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind so that's why when you want to hit reset reach for a beer that's made to chill Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate.
3: We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go.
2: What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Bronx Pinstripe Show, episode 109. Scott, we've got a couple episodes left before 2016 is over with. And I don't know if you've been following on Twitter or anywhere on social media, but apparently people do not like the year 2016, and they are happy it is almost over.
3: I don't know what that's about. Why? I, I guess I don't watch that kind of thing. Why? Why are people not like you? That 2016? out of touch? Yeah, I don't look at. I don't look at feeds and things like that. I. I don't. All the memes.
2: All the memes of like, oh, can two thousand sixteen just end already? Why? What's I so think, bad about it? I think because there's been a lot of celebrity deaths, and then a uh, certain orange man was elected president.
3: Got it. So people are just angry about all that stuff.
2: I think they're just angry at the world that everything's not roses.
3: Yeah. Well, it's not going to be roses probably for the rest of your lifetime. So. There's a, I guess there were a lot of like bad things that happened in the world too, as far as like shootings and like Syria is a complete disaster, so all that stuff. So all right, fine, 2016. Let's end <laughs> it. We had a good year in the podcast, I thought. Right? We had some. That's people, how I was just gonna say. I mean, say people, it. people people seem fun. to like it so far. So I mean, you know, it's been cool for us. Excluding the rest of 2016 was
2: world. a fun year for me. I don't know. Sorry that people didn't like it. Yeah. And uh, even though the Yankees didn't do too well. You and I actually made a little video, a Star Wars video, that got people excited for the future, and that 2016 was not a complete loss year right. because of all the young kids. And looking forward, the Yankees are rebuilding the empire. And it's actually kind of a fun time to be a Yankees fan, I think. More fun than 2012, 2013, 2014. Those years sucked. I thought the last few months of Yankees baseball was pretty fun. I
3: think it's anytime, anytime you're rebuilding something and it's your guys that are building it up, it's more fun than going out and buying a whole bunch of pieces. To me, that's not... I mean, granted, it's fun when you win with those pieces. But when you don't win and the expectations are so high, then it becomes not fun. So now... There's, you know, we, I think I feel like our shoulders are a little bit lighter and we can go back to, you know, the old cliche is baseball is supposed to be fun. Right. So now it is. We've got a bunch of young kids having fun as fans. I think we can embrace that cliche and start having fun as fans again and watching these guys grow. So, yeah, 2016 was a good year that's kind of why I have a bone to
2: pick with people about this Bryce Harper thing. And I think a lot of people say it jokingly that the Yankees are just going to be signing Bryce Harper in a couple of years and then they'll be fine. They're going to be good after they sign Bryce Harper. I'm so sick of hearing that for a few reasons. Oh, Bryce Harper has not been good except for that one year. He had a really bad year last year. And if they're going to be paying him $400 million, he better be closer to the MVP Bryce Harper than he was last year. The two twenty-five hitting Bryce Harper. And, I just it it's just not signing more free agents just does not get me excited at this point even if it is Bryce
3: Harper. No, because just what I was saying those expectations are attached to him. That's a problem. That's a problem today because a lot of most of the time when a guy gets signed for big money, he doesn't live up to what everybody thinks he's going to do. And I've been sick of this Bryce Harper talk for the past year you know, ever since it started, it was cool for like a, the first couple of days, and then I'm like, "All right, can we just?" It's like three years away for God's sakes. Everybody's you know all over it.
2: Yeah, the Nationals visited the Yankees a couple years ago, and he took that picture in Monument Park right. and said something on Instagram about how he grew up a Yankees fan, and it just kind of grew legs from there.
3: Look, this dude's not getting five hundred million dollars. You know, in the beginning of all this talk, mm-hmm. I was it was be, when he was having his very good year, and I'm like, "Well, damn, maybe this guy might really get." Half a billion dollars, and when you're looking at him now, like you were saying, he had a bad year last year. Granted, he walked a lot; he was on base a lot, but he just well bad year, bad year for he him. Had he bad year for yes, a five hundred exactly. million dollar guy, if that exists? <laughs> if,
2: if it's like a unicorn, if we're talking about a, a half a billion dollar player. Yeah. That is not the the stats you want to see from him. No,
3: but yeah, it's it's just a lot of to- it's just too much right now. Like we have a lot of really good things that are happening within our system that we can. That we have control of, as far as just players coming up and down. So let's just let's just lean on that, get excited for that, and let Bryce Harper, you know, get married and and yeah. do his thing. Brycey
2: Bryce got married this week. You know,
3: I saw the picture of that um, R.J., our, our resident Nationals fan, put that and Bryce Harper stalker um, put a picture of that in our group. And I don't know about you, but when I saw it, the fir- one of the first things I noticed was like the massive Mormon temple behind him. It looked like he yep. was getting. Married in like the former Soviet Union, like it was like a it was crazy how big it was in the back. Clint Fraser
2: was jokingly recruiting him on Twitter, but something strikes me that I don't think Clint Fraser and Bryce Harper would get along off the field.
3: A little too similar.
2: no, or no a little oh, too dissimilar. dissimilar.
3: <laughs> similar in their attitudes. I, I feel like they have a similar cockiness cockiness on the field but
2: then they get off the field and bryce is going to go home to his wife and his mormons and clint wants to go tear up new york city (laughs) right
3: (laughs) maybe he could just be like the the good angel on one on one shoulder they're like the complete opposites when they're going out to the club yeah oh that's a that'd be a fun that'd be that'd be a good reality show
2: (laughs) clinton bryce yeah Um. Thank you to everyone who has given the podcast a rating and review. I'm sure at this point people are sick of hearing me say it, but I'm going to keep saying it because it's actually working. Every time I say it, a few more people go in there and rate it. We're up to 135 ratings and 89 written reviews. We've got two weeks pretty much until the end of the year. Let's get it to 150 ratings and 100 reviews by the new year. And it's working because... We've been teasing it for a long time. We've been saying this is our goal. This is where we want to be. If you just search in podcasts and iTunes, the word Yankees, we are now the number
3: one result. And
2: that is big news.
3: That is big news. That's That means that we're, one, we've continued to do the show. So that's that's something by itself. Two, people are listening. Awesome. I'm glad you guys are listening. The numbers keep going up. So it seems like you're liking it and maybe telling other people. And if you're not, please do so. But we really do appreciate it. I mean, it's been awesome. We got to number one for the Yankees, and you never know what doors are going to open up if we just continue to keep uh, rising up. Uh, I think Andrew and I, Andrew and I—I I know for a fact—off the off the show, have talked a lot about you know where we could take the show and what we want to do with it because we truly believe that the Yankee fans, us, all of us, you listening, us talking—we are the same people in the sense that we're all fans about this team. You know, we, we do our homework. We know a lot about it. And I think the, our, our voice needs to be heard on a grander scale. So, you know, we're trying to take this as far as it can go. And you guys are crucial, crucial, crucial in that by supporting us with these ratings reviews. So that's all I want for Christmas is a, a review in iTunes. That's it.
2: Oh, that's all you want for Christmas? That's sweet. That's it. Um, I was also curious if there were any ladies that listen to our podcast. What do you think the percentage of listeners
3: are female out there? Well, considering the, if you look at the, at like the analytics for the website, it's like 90, it's like 90, 10, low, low, low. Yeah. There's not a lot. So unless, I don't, unless Google doesn't know who you are, which I, I believe Google. Um, so yeah, not, not very many. We could use some reviews from the ladies.
2: Well I was, that's what I was saying that's where I was getting at because I was looking at the 89 reviews and I don't think there's a single one from a female that I do not know personally.
3: I was gonna say I think my mother's in there somewhere, <laughs> possibly my wife, probably your girlfriend. you know yeah, there's a lot of exactly. a lot of people that we know yeah
2: So if you are a, a fine lady out there, a fine Yankees fan out there listening right now, uh, give us a, give us a rating in the in iTunes and let us know that you are one of our probably few female listeners. All right, let's move on to some Yankees business. Things in Yankees land were pretty quiet over the last week um, after signing Chapman. And then we've been sort of talking about this just because uh, we get mailbag questions about it and the White Sox have been fire sale, fire selling. So we figured it was uh, only natural to talk about Jose Quintana. But today, John Morosi reported the Yankees have been in contact with the White Sox and they're interested in Jose Quintana. <laughs> Um, I wouldn't say I'm surprised by this at all. And Jack Curry on Twitter this afternoon kind of dismissed the rumors. He was like, uh, Brian Cashman checks in with all teams on their on their available players. And it's obvious that Quintana is available for the right price. Um, But let's play the hypothetical game that the Yankees are going to try and trade for Quintana and how they would get it done. Because I think it would be difficult to get done based on what the Yankees would be willing to give up. So I did a little research, and I know you love when I do research, Scott.
3: Bring the numbers on, baby.
2: Um, obviously, Quintana was overshadowed by Chris Sale in that rotation. But if you look at their numbers, they're actually closer than you, you would think. 2013 to, th- to 2016, Sale's war was 21.8, and Quintana's war is 18.1. So it's about a uh, win a year off obviously that's a lot for a starting pitcher but Quintana has been one of the more durable and consistent and actually better pitchers in the American League for three seasons so you're gonna imagine that the White Sox are gonna get a pretty hefty haul for him especially because he's locked up for long term and we know what the White Sox were getting for Adam Eaton and Chris Sale three top 10 prospects from teams so Could the Yankees even do that? Never mind if they're willing to do that. Could the Yankees even part with that?
3: No, they. I mean, they absolutely shouldn't. If they're talking about three top ten prospects, the the shouldn't shouldn't isn't the question. Could they? Could I mean? Could they get it done? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They could get it done. Absolutely. They they could absolutely make this trade if if they wanted to. But to me, it's it's a. it, it, you're you're regressing to get forward. It's it's taking two steps back to to try to take a step forward. To try to take a step forward with a guy that is going to be placed into a situation where where your team is not ready to go yet, and and the machine's not ready yet. So that's I think to me that's one of the biggest deals is that we don't know what we have with the rest of the prospects. Some of the top top guys. I mean, they're not going to let go. I don't see them uh, parting ways with Frazier, Torres. Those. Are the, probably the biggest two that I, I would say that they're not going to get rid of, um, right? I, I'd say Mateo is is out there, just because of what happened last year. I know he's working his butt off this this uh, off season. There's talk of him going to center field. There's um, Judge came up last year, didn't do as well, but he's got some major league experience. He's still up there as far as a prospect. I could see them getting rid of one or two of those guys if, if we're talking about guys that are, that I think are are potential uh, trade bait. Trade partner, you know, trade uh, trade uh, pieces of the Yankees to the White Sox, but I, I don't see them getting rid of any of the top guys. And I think at, at that point, if you're not getting rid of one of one or two of those top guys, then you're probably not going to make that deal. Unless exactly, unless unless it gets later on and the White Sox are just ready to go and and get what they can at that point for a guy like that.
2: But see, the White Sox don't have to trade Quintana. It's not like his contract is expiring. And they're going to need players to put on the Major League field. Right. So if they want to hang on to Quintana until the trade deadline when the price goes up, that's what they can do. And actually, that's probably what they should do if they don't get the price they want. Um, they The Yankees don't have a Yohan Mankata or a Lucas Giolito-level mm-hmm. prospect to give up. Nor would they want to give him up for Jose Quintana. So... Like you said, I don't think they're going to give up Frazier or Torres. But it would take, here's the, the rest of the top 10 Yankee prospects. Mateo, Judge, Rutherford, Sheffield, Anduar, Acevedo, Caprelian and Abreu. Now, some of those guys are certainly lower down as far as the top 100 MLB prospects. They're not even in the top 100 MLB prospects like Acevedo and Abreu. So it wouldn't just be those guys plus one more. It would be all of those guys plus one more. Or one of the big name guys like Frazier. And it's just like you said, this is that's not a move that uh makes sense for this team right now. So yeah, the rumor is out there. Yeah, people are excited about it, but if you think about it, it doesn't make sense.
3: No, and I see the other thing about this, this trade, if you're looking at a guy like Jose Jose Quintana, now now he's gonna be pushed into a number one role. Right? He's gonna be pushed into a number one role yeah. with the White Sox. So well. Depends who you ask. Well, ther- I mean, their number one role. Theoretically, if you're looking at that as the White Sox general manager, and now you're now you're going to be putting him as the number one, uh, and, and you know he's going to be going up against some of the best pitchers in baseball. Theoretically, um, you know maybe you're you're trying to get rid of him while he's as high as he can be because right now he's pretty high. You're, I, I don't know how much higher you could get with him unless you know the, the the numbers are pretty damn good as of right now. So I could see that White Sox looking around seeing what the offers are, and then taking the best deal right now because now you're going to be going through half of a season where he may not live up to the expectations he did over the past three years where you can actually make a very good comparison to his numbers in sale just like you did and have that as your presentation because now you're going to have you know, another half season where things could go wrong. You just don't know. So you know, if you're looking at the White Sox, they've made a lot of moves, and I, I still could see them making, making that move now because they feel like he is in a good position to be moved. Okay,
2: but let's play it out. That uh, the White Sox pry the prospects from Brian Cashman's dead fingers, and the Yankees have Quintana on the roster next year. What are your expectations for the Yankees in 2017? About the same. That that says it all, right there. I know that's that's the problem. It makes no sense. That's the problem. If, If. if you still think the yankees would and i'm not saying you're wrong jose quintana is not putting
3: this team over the edge if that's what we're talking about because
2: well, i'm not we're not even saying an edge we're saying uh right now if the season started today we would say the yankees are going to be competing for a wild card right yeah sure and there's if they a have super jose team quintana, the bostonians think... the
3: bostonians of the north have put together a super team so yeah we're playing for second place
2: in a way but <laughs> there's there's a difference of uh you know you can say, "Yeah, we're playing for second place," but that's a 95 win second place team, or it's an 85 win second place team. There's a big difference to how um, you could have expectations change. Not that Quintana would ever shift it that much, but the Yankees would still be hovering around that 85 win mark. Let's see if we can get into a playoff hunt in September type deal.
3: You know, if you look back at last season and the amount of struggles that we had with the starting rotation, getting to the the middle of the the middle of the game, uh, sixth, seventh inning, to give it to the bullpen of the of the uh, the three headed monster we had in the back. You know, one of those one of the biggest problems that the Yankees had wasn't really the 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 pitching because we still weren't scoring runs. The runs being scored were so low that it almost it didn't matter about the pitching because they were doing well enough, even though they were not good. They were not they were doing well enough for the amount of runs that we were scoring. If, that's, well, if I'm making any damn sense. But the, fa- the, fact, the fact is that they have to be scoring more runs for these, for these moves to make any difference. And we have to see how these prospects are going to be and how this team is going to be offensively as well for us to make that next move, in my opinion. I mean, yes, it's gonna be, it would be an absolute help to have him on the team. But if we're not scoring runs, it's not going to matter.
2: So are you saying that in order to win games
3: that you need to score runs – <laughs> yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. Look at what Quintana's record was last year. What was he ten and ten? Because he played for a crappy White Sox uh, White Sox offensive team, and his pitching uh, his pitching performances were practically getting wasted. And that's what very well could happen. I just feel
2: like we'd be getting the White Sox sloppy seconds, and it would still cost us an arm and a leg.
3: I just don't want to do it. It just it doesn't look good on paper, and it makes me feel Well, no. Bad. See,
2: it actually it if you plug in Quintana into the rotation. That actually looks great on paper. No, it doesn't. But Not just when don't... you have to
3: give up some of your big guys. It doesn't look good on paper if you look at the plan. The whole on
2: paper thing is when you can go into 2017 with Tanaka, Quintana, Pineda, Sabathia, and then somebody who, who's competing for the rotation spot. That is a rotation that... You could actually win some games
3: with. Well, your paper is but, shorter than mine because my paper is a scroll. I'm looking long term here. I'm looking at the guys that we can build on, not not just a, a an answer for a guy that we can. When, how long is he controlled? Four years. Four years. Four years. Okay. Are we? So maybe that fourth year, may, third fourth year, maybe. No, third. I think. I think. Um, if everything works out perfectly. If everything
2: works out perfectly, 2019 is when they plan on doing some damage. Depending on who third they give year. up.
3: Depending on who they give up for for him.
2: Depending on who. Who pans
3: out, who they give up, who they get, what, who they sign. Your boy, Bryce Harper. Yeah. Yep. So yeah. look, I don't know. It's, it's, there's so many uncertain things to, to look at when you're looking at the roster right now. We have to let this unfold a little bit. We can't go and overreact for a number two guy that was already in my system. And I'm sorry, you know, that still drives me nuts. I can't, going to bother you. Yeah, it's going to yeah, bother a lot of fans. It.
2: Um, but they, that was what? Four five years ago, it doesn't that matter was in to their me. System? It doesn't matter Rich to me. Hill was in their system too. So would you have felt the same way if they signed Rich Hill? Yes,
3: <laughs> Rich Hill was trash, and was, Rich Hill was, was everybody's trash a couple of years ago. Everybody you know, had it,
2: him. it really it. Some, I was. Uh, it's amazing
3: how he turned that around. Maybe the blisters I, after are after he thing.
2: signed. After he signed his contract, I saw a Twitter video from dated like a year and a half ago, and it was, he was throwing in a high school mound for a couple of MLB scouts. And in a year and a half, he went from throwing a bullpen session he probably thought was going to lead to a dead end to signing a whatever it was, $50 million contract. Yeah,
3: it's it, the rise of... A
2: true rags-to-riches story. There's
3: no doubt about it. It's it's actually like riches-to-rags-to-riches. To to riches. Wasn't he like a, a very top prospect when he first came up, too? Mean, back in the 80s. <laughs> exactly. So this dude has, has really taken the... Uh, the the full roller coaster ride of Major League Baseball. Good for him. No, yes, but yes, it would have pissed me off as well that he was under our control and then he got away. But he's he's an anomaly. I mean, like that guy, he's like uh, what's his Dennis Quaid in the rookie. Just he had he played baseball before. It's, it, he's uh-huh. a weird dude.
2: Do you, do you remember when I did the Baseball March Madness movie bracket? And you thought and Dennis Quaid I, was Ke- uh, Kevin nope, Costner? No, I didn't think. I did it on purpose uh, I because because Dennis Quaid is the poor man's Kevin Costner and no one got the joke and everyone jumped down my throat that I mistake <laughs> I uh, mistake the two.
3: Yeah, I'm pretty sure I didn't get the joke either. And I was like, dude, you know that that's Dennis Quaid, right? That's See, not it was Kevin more Costner. One of
2: those, it's more one of those things that you uh, – Come up with with college buddies when you're really wasted yeah. and you think is hilarious, right. and then you you say it six years later on a on a website, and it's not as funny. <laughs> but the three of my Those buddies who read the it. article, they thought it was hilarious. They got it and enjoyed it, so you know what, it was worth it.
3: Um, anything else you want to talk about, Quintana? You know, I I really do just hope the Yankees stay away from this because when I'm looking at it and I'm looking at the guys that they got, it just looks like. It just looks bad news to me. It just looks like you're going to have to give up too much in order to make this deal done. So I'm hoping Jack Curry's right, and Cashman's really just assessing what's going on. And, I mean, that's about right. I mean, he's going to be calling to find out what their deal is, right? That's his job to do that. So if he did make the phone call, good for him because he's supposed to. But and I think doesn't mean Cashman he has to make heard, the deal.
2: If Cashman heard a price that he was okay with, I think he would pull the trigger.
3: I think so, but I think that price that he's going to have to be okay with is going to have to be a lot lower than we're talking about. Yeah. You know, the or it's gonna. The other thing about Gialito, a major league player. Yeah, that's Go that's ahead, true. So. If if there was a major league player that they were, you know, maybe they do think Aaron Hicks is Jackie Bradley Jr. Also, and that could work because you know that could be an MVP caliber player.
2: <laughs> I was talking a good major league player.
3: Jackie Bradley Jr. is pretty good. You know, maybe they think he's him. <laughs> I love that comparison. It's such a great comparison. I really hope it works out someday. But um the other thing if you if you're looking at what the White Sox well, did if
2: if uh, Hicks can get on Bradley Jr's workout plan well, then maybe. Did
3: he release a video? Is there like a 7 minute No, ask? I was
2: I was subtly alluding to steroids. Oh,
3: ooh, there it is. The the thing about the White Sox too with the uh with the Adam Eaton trade is I mean we're 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 talking about Moncada and Giolito as the very top level prospects, but if you look at that Adam Eaton trade a little bit differently now, because of now we know what all of the GMs thought about Giolito, then maybe it wasn't as much as they thought because he had, you know, lowered in the ranks. Seems like but significantly. they also got
2: they also got uh, Lopez, who's I think they're now fourth overall prospect in their system.
3: Right. Lopez is also prospect or projecting, I think, at that trade when everybody was talking about him, he's gonna be a bullpen guy. That's that's where I saw him last. So I don't know. It seems like their prospects have got really lowered in status after uh, after it was known that they're not as high on Giolito, which is a damn shame because they they could have gotten a hell of a lot more of the trade. You know what
2: I think happened? I think uh, some some of these scouts said, wait, hold on. You traded Giolito for Adam Eaton. He can't be that. good. We have to lower him in our rankings. Yeah, it went
3: the other way. Uh, Yeah, that's possible. No egg on my face.
2: All right, let's move on from Quintana uh, – Jesus, talk um, – on to some Hall of Fame voting. And I kind of got heated last week over a tweet from Jeff Passan uh, who said well, – here's what happened. He tweeted out a picture of his ballot, which I actually really appreciate because I think that these guys should make their votes public because – I think Mm -hmm. that keeps them honest, and I think that we should know who they're voting for. And actually, starting next year... I was going to say, aren't they doing that? There's a rule where your votes will be public, and I think that's going to excuse a lot of the funny business that goes on. I don't know. Uh, And I'll get to that in a second. But Passin voted for Bagwell, Bonds, Clemens, Guerrero, Mm -hmm. Edgar Martinez, Messina, which I was surprised about, Tim Raines, Manny, Pudge, and Schilling. So he had a full ballot. He did not vote for Trevor Hoffman. People jumped down his throat for that, saying 601 saves, blah, blah, 20-year blah, 20, 20 year career, very steady. If you don't want to vote for Trevor Hoffman, fine. He was never the best closer in the game. That was always Mariano Rivera. He kind of choked in the 98 World Series. Not that the Padres were going to beat the Yankees that year, but the one save opportunity he had, he gave it up. And uh, he only made seven All-Star games, I found out. And Papelbon has made six. So he was never a superstar. He was very, very steady and consistent. My issue is not that he didn't vote for Trevor Hoffman. My issue is that he said Mariano Rivera is a borderline Hall of Famer and he just barely gets in from his playoff statistics. And that is just utterly ridiculous. It's as if he denied the world was flat. If you're calling – denied the world was round, calling the world flat. If you're calling Mariano Rivera a borderline Hall of Famer, I don't think you've comprehended baseball for 20 years.
3: Yeah, there. He had it until that last one where he was talking about barely a Hall of Famer from Mariano. And you know, I look. Some of these guys don't think that the closer role should be. If they they consider it similar to the DH, they're not playing a full game. Then you know you're not. You're only pitching one inning at a time. Then you should not be eligible for the Hall. Of Fam- it's like the the punters in in football. I'm just saying that that's I think some of their mentality. I think it's completely completely asinine mentality because guess what it's a position it's a it's a role in a game that happens every single day every single game this guy plays it's a Dh there's a Dh every time in the American League and there is a closer that happens uh, every time there is a closing opportunity so it's a position that that should be recognized and and you vote on who the best were at doing their job so if you're looking at that and you're not going to put Hoffman in there I, I get it because I, I think you made the comparison last year. Uh, or last week of him as uh, uh, like a Biggio, right? Like the Biggio of yeah. closers. And I agree with that.
2: Collect, collecting stats. Yeah. He collected saves for 20 years. The guy before... He was good at collecting saves, but... The guy
3: before Hoffman was Lee Smith. Lee Smith did the same thing for a long yeah. time. And a lot of... They were on a lot... Or he was on a lot... Lee Smith was on a lot of teams, pitched a lot of games, racked up a lot of saves. And I think he's a similar guy in that sense because he had the the uh, the all-time lead for a long time. And when you're looking at Mariano... You can't dismiss the fact that he did what he did in the postseason. You just can't. You can't dismiss the fact that this guy was the most dominant, had probably the most dominant pitch of any pitcher in his era, and arguably way, way beyond that. I mean, you do lose a lot of credibility when you're talking about that. So, but
2: players can only play the game that is presented in front of them, right? And the way the game is trended since the '90s is designated hitters right. and shortening relievers those there's an extremely large uh weight put on those players to perform. That's why the three largest contracts in relief pitcher history were handed out this offseason. You think that's a coincidence? No, it's because it's become extremely important in the game today. So, you're passing was almost denying the fact that that has been a trend for 25 years in baseball. But here's one of So the, we're going to ignore that? It, it just makes it makes no but sense. But this
3: is me. what they do. This is one of the biggest problems with this voting is that th- these guys are are so entrenched in in uh, different old mentalities that it takes them so long to move forward because I guarantee you some guys are not voting Mariano Rivera in the Hall of Fame because he only pitched one inning and you're looking at guys like, you know, Gossage who would throw 2 3 innings and get the save and they're comparing it to that type of uh, of a guy and saying, "Well, hey, he he would do it for 3 innings, but Mo only did it for one inning." I mean, they These guys are entrenched in old thinking and it doesn't go away because they can vote for so long and and they all have influence over each other.
2: So then in, following that logic, you they should also hold um, hold it against starting pitchers who who pitched over the last 20 years because they didn't throw 15 complete games like the pitchers yeah. did in the
3: 50s. I'm not saying they should. I'm saying they probably and will. And
2: also they pitch on five days rest, and they used to pitch on, on three and four days rest all the
3: yeah, time. Yeah, I'm not saying they should. I'm saying they probably will because that's just the way it is. I mean, this, That's yeah. what these guys, and, guys are.
2: And, and do you remember back in the 50s, players used to play the whole all, All-Star game? There's there's a
3: lot of differences when you're you talking remember, about different like, things.
2: It, get off my lawn, Goose Gossage. You remember that whole rant we went on?
3: Yes, I do. And we, inter- we, exactly we actually like interviewed that. him at spring training, and it was terrific. He was not happy about he was not happy about the way that Jose Batista flipped his bat.
2: <laughs> no, he was not. <laughs> um, another reason the Hall of Fame voting is just completely ridiculous. And I want I want to read something from uh, a Ken Rosenthal article today. So the setup here is that. He fills out uh, his ballot, and he has. You can only vote for ten players, and he fills out all ten players. He's very liberal with his vote, and he um, decided he's voting for both Trevor Hoffman and Billy Wagner. Which Billy Wagner is interesting in and in, of itself. Yeah, Billy Wagner, and he's and he's excluding Vladimir Guerrero from his list. And here's why: it's a strategic move. I'm not certain that Wagner will receive the necessary five percent of the vote to remain on the ballot but I'm quite certain that Guerrero will, and I will be happy to vote for him in the future. So now are we voting for the best players or are we just voting to push our own agendas here?
3: Look, Ken Rosenthal, we all know, is a short man. He is, pit- he is obviously supporting his fellow short guy and Billy Wagner, who was, uh, was not a big dude and could throw really hard. So he's, there is an agenda here. He's, he's pushing the short man's agenda, and it's n- complete nonsense. No, it's stupid. Like, that whole reasoning is ridiculous. You should be embarrassed for saying that. You should be voting in the guys that deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. That's it. Yes. Who, who do you think should be a Hall of Famer? Vote what those guys. What a novel guys. concept. Vote those guys. How about that? So now there's like this whole politics
2: game going on behind the scenes between there's the writers. There's always been a politics game. Trying to figure game, out. That's always been, been the case. Trying to figure out. Who each other is going to vote for so they can get guys on the ballot for a certain amount of time. It's so insane. It it it, it almost makes it like it, it almost completely dis. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Disregards the whole thing. It takes all the credibility out of it. Why are we even caring about this yeah, at this point? It's, it, that When I read that, it pissed me off.
3: Well, and you know, 10 years ago, these guys were doing the exact same thing. It was just a lot closed. It was more of a closed-knit uh, and a, a tighter community where they could keep their opinions and how they were doing this all to themselves. Now with social media out there, people are, are demanding that they explain what they're doing. There's a lot more competition for our, uh, our time and, and listening to what you have to say. So you have to say something that's a little bit more edgy. So by him coming out and actually saying the reason he's doing this, he's getting more people to look at him. But you know what it's doing? is It's exposing exactly what's wrong with this whole system because it's been like this for a while. People just didn't yeah. realize it.
2: And, and another thing that, that always angers me is that there's never been a unanimous player voted in. And I, I know we talked about it last year with Ken Griffey Jr. Babe Ruth wasn't unanimous, unanimously so, uh, selected. Jackie Robinson, who literally changed the game of baseball, wasn't. <laughs> Hank Aaron, the list goes on. But you got guys like Jim Rice who wait 15 years. They're on their 15th year of eligibility, and they squeak in at 70%. It's like we're letting in mediocre players, but not – but have to hold these guys like we're like they're having this, uh, notion that it's actually difficult to get in because we'll never vote in somebody a hundred percent. It's just backwards thinking.
3: Yeah, no, it's, it needs to be changed. It really does. And it needs to be, I, I think some, some of these hall of famers, some of the guys that, you know, maybe, maybe the, some of the recent guys that are, are, are younger, the younger guys that, you know, the, the, the last couple, uh, entrances into the hall of fame should be more vocal about the way that this is voted on and speak up for some of the guys that didn't get in on the first ballot or second ballot when they should have been you know i think they need to be more vocal in today's age why not speak out say that hey this is not right the way that, the way that this is being done you're already in so you can you can come out and talk the problem is, is there's a big fraternity of these guys they're all stick it together and that's that's kind of how it's been that's why it's always been like this because they've always stuck together and not many people will go against that uh, you know that bond, that fraternal bond of of being a Hall of Fame baseball player or a voter. It's the the prestige. I don't know. It wears Rosenthal
2: off. also had an interesting uh, take on the whole steroids thing because he does vote for Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens every year, but he said he will not vote for players like Manny Ramirez and Alex Rodriguez because they failed tests after they knew it was illegal.
3: See, I have I actually agree with that in the, in the sense that when when these guys were doing the drugs like I, re- I remember I think I've talked about this before but I mean there there have been post game interviews with Mark McGuire in the locker room with bottle of andro sitting right there in his locker he wasn't hiding it the guy was taking andro it was a it was a legal substance at the time he was taking the drug see I honestly don't have a problem with that if it wasn't illegal and it wasn't barred in major league baseball then you know, why Why are we holding him accountable for something that was not illegal at the time? So I, I do kind of agree with that. You know, the rules are changed. Once rules are implemented and you don't abide by those rules, then, you know, you are to be taken to task for violating that, you know, said rule. So I kind of agree with that. Do you
2: think he was only doing Andro or do you think he was also doing horse steroids like Rafael Palmero on the side? Yeah,
3: <laughs> <laughs> you know, he would, the, the horse steroid, there was no like... You know, logo of a horse on the bottle in his locker no. room.
2: The, the steroid that Palmero ended up failing for was commonly used in racehorses. Yeah.
3: You yeah, know, old stags that needed a little buck, right? And a little, a little get up. It's, it's, it's either, the, it's either the, the horse steroid or the slaughterhouse.
2: <laughs> um, final bit of stuff to talk about before we move on to mailbags is the 2016 luxury tax bills were officially mailed. And we got the final results. The Dodgers, 31.8 million dollars. They paid in luxury tax. Yankees 27.4 million. Red Sox, 4.5 million. So there's a big jump between three, two and three. Tigers 4 million, Giants 3.4, Cubs 2.96. Interesting, only the Yankees and the Tigers um, were teams to not make the playoffs but still pay the luxury tax but the Yankees paid 22, 23 more million than the Tigers did.
3: Yeah, when you look at those numbers and you see that the Red Sox only paid 4.5 and the Yankees played 27.4, is that's ridiculous. You could thank the Dodgers in part, again, for the stupid freaking thing that they did for them, helping them out. Hey, God. guess
2: what? The Dodgers will next year will celebrate the final year of Carl Crawford's contract.
3: Utterly ridiculous. The Red Sox should still be paying that contract. It was such a bad contract. So yeah, I mean, they, I mean, that's those the numbers are staggering, and they really are. The Red Sox have done a very good job of managing their their payroll and and you know bringing up young guys. I, I think the Yankees are trending in this in a very similar direction, uh, in the sense that their young guys are going to be you know taking the lead, and they're you know the Red Sox are just a few years ahead in that in that retool so in that retool situation. So the, the Yankees will never be that you. low, though. The Yankees will never be that low.
2: No. Well, I think they're going to get under it soon, especially since it's rising. But it just goes to show you how bad some of those contracts really were to where they're they're 27.4 million in luxury tax spending and they they didn't make the playoffs. All the other teams made the playoffs that that spent that big.
3: Well, that's what happens when you have those long term contracts and you you feel the wrath of them at the end of at the end of the contract. So that's exactly what happened. We all knew it was going to happen. Everybody knew it was going to happen. Uh, you know, the, the Yankees made a, a decision that it was going to be worth it for the beginning of those contracts. And, you know, I guess uh, only in behind closed doors will we find out if that they truly believe that still.
2: All right, let's move on to mailbags. The first one is from Lee Jones. He is one of our U.K. listeners. And I think Lee Jones is a very proper name, so it's fitting that he's one of our U.K. listeners. says, obviously, it would be a big ask. But if three of the five guys battling for, battling for the two rotation spots had outstanding springs, do you think the Yankees would entertain the idea of a six-man rotation, especially since it would favor Tanaka? Or might we see Pineda or Sabathia relegated to the bullpen? So before we get into talking about it, um, I kind of did some some reading on the six-man rotation because you and I have casually talked about it over the past few months on the podcast, but I actually like went and read some stuff about it today because I, I I just hadn't before. And it's kind of interesting to see the the recent history of the six-man rotations. Um, so very quickly, when you think of a six-man rotation, you think of the pros is that it's more rest for your pitchers, which in theory means fewer injuries. And it's uh, longer outings each time they go out because they have more time to rest. So maybe they can push their guys to 110, 110, 115 pitches when ordinarily they would be pulled at 95 to 100 pitches. And then the cons are your top-end starters will pitch less because there's an extra guy in the rotation. Um, And then when you get to the postseason, it's an even more adjustment going from a six-man rotation down to a four-man rotation than when you go from a five to a four, um, which – we haven't really seen because no one uses a six-man rotation for the entire season. Um, but you know, I just wanted to get those out there uh, when we talk about the six-man rotation. The Braves did it in 2012 when Tommy Hanson came back from a DL. They did it, I think, for two months. The Mets used six starters when Dylan G was coming back from the DL, and they had Cindergard who was called up and he was uh, pitching lights out. And then last September, the Cubs did it to get get ready for the playoffs. Um, all of those things are because of certain scenarios, yep. injuries, playoffs, whatever it may be. None of them are. Oh, we have six really good starters, and we just want to do a six-man rotation for the whole year. We have never seen that in Major League Baseball.
3: Yeah, it's not in the binder. It's it's not something that you're going to find in in that reading material. That it's,
2: it's not. It's an amendment to the binder, though. Maybe
3: if those exist, the uh, that that is still up for debate. The amendments. I don't think there's a section like that, but it's in the index <laughs> footnotes the uh, you know, it's it's an interesting theory. I I've, like you said, there has to be some kind of a scenario why why you go to a six man rotation at this point. I think if, if we were if the Major League Baseball had added that extra roster spot, like the rumor was during the collective bargaining agreement, then I think this would have been a more of a, a, a legitimate discussion because I could see people uh some teams actually trying to do it in in a longer fashion and and actually game planning to do it if they have that extra rotation spot because theoretically then you can have another uh you can either have another starting pitcher or you you're bolstering your bolt bull, your bullpen as well so you have just more arms and i think that helps you uh in the in the sense of having a six man rotation but you know there 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 you're looking at the the pros is that you know there's uh longer outings for pitchers because they have extra rest. Well, that's that's all well and good, but if you have six guys who are just not that good, then do you really want them throwing 110 pitches because so, they're going to be letting up a lot of runs and the ERAs will be five and six if you're looking at, at that type the, of thing. So, yeah, there's yeah. the cons are you're looking at, well, it's more of a dramatic... Rotation shift, but theoretically there should be more rested, right? So they maybe can make that adjustment better. So I, I almost like dismiss the pros and cons for it as well, because.
2: Well, so to your point, before you move on, because you, you hit on it. If you have, if you have more than five good starters, then that's, that has never happened in the history of baseball where you have six starters, all worthy of pitching in the rotation. Usually it's you have a couple of good starters and then have a lot of question marks. So what's the point of going to a six-man rotation? We don't want that guy pitching. He's going to go to the bullpen. The Yankees are not in a position where if all of those guys have good springs, which would be great, that they were just jonesing to get them all starts. Like we need to get <laughs> Brian Mitchell and Luis Severino and Sessa and Chad Green all starts. And if we don't, we're going to be screwed. No, they'll gladly stuff a couple of those guys in the bullpen.
3: Yeah, I mean Severino. Look what he did in the bullpen. <laughs> the guy just just let him pitch from the third inning to the seventh inning, and then he's that. You're there's your start. But the, the you know the guy was lights out at that point. It just you know I, I, the the other point of the the mailbag. I think one of the questions was you know because it actually favors Tanaka getting that sixth rotation. Well,
2: it does. Well, that's does. but that's
3: interesting. If you look at if you look at what that does for the team. Okay, so yes, maybe it does benefit Tanaka. Right, he does a he's a better he's a better pitcher when he when he uh, rests for that, for that extra day. But you're also then throwing in another guy who probably shouldn't be in the rotation at the same, at at the, you know, at the same time. So does it really help the team? Yes, it helps Tanaka, but does it help the team is, is getting the Tanaka on every uh, fifth day better than every sixth day and adding a really bad starting pitcher on the day that he normally would go. So it's a great point. I don't know if you're, if we're talking about wins above replacement on that sixth day, uh, that would be an interesting set to look at, you know if Tanaka was on the sixth day or some other dude who Brian Mitchell or whoever the guy is that doesn 't win the fifth job would be the sixth pitcher right so
2: well you uh the Yankees usually tried to finagle it too, where they would try and pitch Tanaka as much as they could when he got the full rest because of off days and now with the new cba there 's four extra off days in the season, so I'll have four more opportunities to do that.
3: I think the six-man rotation works in certain scenarios, and I think the majority of those scenarios are later in the season when you need extra rest for a guy as the season is going on, and you have maybe you have a hot guy in AAA who's been pitching well, and you want to bring him up and and you know go for a couple rotations in that six-man or. You know, you're, you're trying to just save a guy's arm and, and just make sure it's that injury. He's in a, injuries yeah, is the main or, time or when, when teams use. Or it. being preventative for that type of thing.
2: So the injury thing is interesting. Um, 538, I read a blog from 538 today about it. Um, Nate Silver, um, I don't know if he's recovered yet from the election crisis. Uh, he was looking pretty rough on election night. But found a blog about six man rotations um, talking specifically about the injury risk and if there is a correlation between. Uh, extra rest and pitchers being injured and short-term injuries. Yes, there are when they uh, they looked at data from 2006 to 2014 and pitchers that pitched on three days rest uh, had an injury within the next two weeks, 1.7% of the time. And if uh, they pitched on five full days rest, so that's a six man rotation, then they only were injured 0.8% of the time. So it is a pretty significant difference. I know those numbers sound low, But the difference in that percentage is a lot when you're talking about that amount of data. Um, It prevents short-term injury, but there's no evidence to say it prevents long-term injury. It doesn't prevent you from having Tommy John surgery. If you were going to need Tommy John surgery, you'd need it if you were going to pitch on five days rest or six days rest no matter what.
3: You see, the problem I have with the, with this data. Here we go again. Here, this is where I where I shoot down the science about this crap about the numbers. Is that yeah? Okay, we're talking about one point seven percent of pitchers, point eight percent of pitchers, but it still comes down to the way that these guys are, the way that their bodies are, and, and the way that they pitch, the way the way that they warm up, the way that they what they do in their off days. Maybe one guy throws more than another guy. That's why I, I can't look at those numbers and, and actually take a lot of stock in them because it's so dependent on the guy that you know, and how the body reacts to that type of rest or lack of rest that I'm just, I can't compare you to another guy. I just, I just can't unless, so you're, unless no, I'm looking at your, where... unless I'm looking at your mechanics, uh, your body weight. And I'm like putting all of these things in the metrics of you and then comparing them to another guy who's in a similar situation and then having a lot of data from that. Then maybe I can make a, 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 a comparison based on, you know, those factors. I don't know. There's just so many different exactly. factors when it comes into it.
2: I'm, I'm with you and, and, I think that drives the point home. What you're saying is that if there's not even really that much to be gained as far as injury goes, then what really is the benefit of a six-man rotation other than maybe in the rare instance making your ace happy?
3: Yeah, I mean, but, but in this case, it's not just making him happy. It, like we, We've proved that on an extra day rest, it works, right? I mean, it works. Yes, it, it works, does. but
2: your point is dead on yeah. that the difference, the increase you'd get from Tanaka – by using a six-man rotation is not worth it when you'd have to fill him in with a six-starter right. because that guy isn't going to be very good. Unless he so is. you're going to lose on that other day yeah. and you're going to win a game that you were already favored in because Tanaka was pitching.
3: Right. Yeah, that's exactly it. So long-term for the team, if you're looking at long-term as one season, long-term, it doesn't, you know, what? what's the uh, what's the the benefit in wins? Where, where are the W's coming in? And they're not when it you're... Might even be a negative. Yeah, it might be.
2: Um. All right. Let's play a hypothetical game, though. Man, my head. Every my head. Team, man, my
3: head with these numbers. Jesus.
2: <laughs> every team in MLB transitions to a six-man rotation for next season. Every single team. What do you think the ramifications are?
3: Um, man, you're going to get a lot of complaining. Can I tell you my answer? A, a lot of complaining and a lot of. You're going to get a lot more crappy games.
2: You're going to get a lot more offense. Okay. Because there's going to be crappy starters out there more often. And MLB keeps complaining that uh, their game isn't exciting, that young fans aren't watching. So make a rule that you have to have six starters. Yeah, you're also going to You're going to get the numbers. You're going to be
3: adding like 20 minutes to, to, the, oh, to yeah. the game.
2: Oh, yeah. It's five-hour games. Yeah, yeah, it's
3: good. Every game will be a Yankees-Red Sox Sunday night game. Imagine <laughs> that. Right.
2: Sorry to make your guys' head hurt. Let's move on to the next question. What do we have next?
3: This came in on Twitter. It's a uh, Tage Rosendahl at Tage Rosendahl. Thoughts on moving Tanaka? If healthy and doing well, he will opt out. May as well look at a return. You know, it's it's interesting because we've talked about the the last. I think it was the last episode of the one before that. You and I were talking about. It was when we had uh, uh, JJ for Barcelona. We we're talking about the fact is you know will will Tanaka opt out? Won't he opt out? His injuries. You know, how he does, it's all, all going to be a, a factor in that. So,
2: yeah, this is an interesting thought, and, and it actually hadn't come up in our conversation because it didn't really cross any of our minds. But say Tanaka's having a solid season next year, and it looks like he's going to opt out. Uh, maybe his agent tells the Yankees he's going to opt out, just like CC's did. Um, and the Yankees try and work out a negotiation for an extension, but Tanaka wants to hit free agency. The Yankees might say, well, guess what? We're going to trade you because you're a top-flight pitcher and we are not really in the playoff hunt right now, so we can get a bunch of prospects for you. That thought never really crossed my mind, but it is a fun scenario to think about if all of those things break that way. It's just The rub is, there's the rub no trade. is Tanaka has a no-trade clause, yes. so he'd have to agree to it, which maybe he wouldn't, but if he's going to elect free agency anyway— then why wouldn't he agree to a trade? If he's going to be moving in October, November, why not move in July? What's the difference?
3: Because maybe he doesn't want to move twice. Maybe he doesn't want to go into a completely different scenario, have the whole circus of that because you know it would be a circus, but the Japanese media as well. There's a lot of other things that happen when Tanaka But He could moves. drive
2: his price up. If he pitches well for a playoff contender, he could add another $50 million onto his contract. You never know.
3: It's just a—it's a very small scenario, I think, at this time. You know, when you're looking at all the factors that have to go into it for for trading Tanaka with a no trade clause, it has to be the exact right team. It has to be the exact right—you uh, know—it co- uh, has to be the exact right haul that the Yankees want back, uh, without trying to negotiate because you know that's going to destroy any kind of any. It would hurt relations with, with, with Tanaka if they were going to, re- you know, try to resign him as if he did opt out. So you could pretty much it kiss that goodbye.
2: Didn't hurt Chapman. They traded his ass and then they resigned him. I
3: think it's a different scenario. Chapman was uh, was here for for what four months, and we took him on with with the uh, knowing that he was in trouble with a a domestic dispute case as well. So there there was there was some. So
2: we did him a solid, so he had to do us a
3: solid. I think that may have been that's part of it. It doesn't. I don't think that goes away. I think I think that there is there was some good faith on the Yankees. You know, looking looking at his situation and the still conspiracy bring Conspiracy
2: music in the background. Yeah. Right and I'm
3: telling you, there's, there's a lot of it. This is the full circle of Cashman's plan while he won't admit it. It's beautiful. And I lo- I'm glad that he's not admitting it. I know, but I'm glad he's not admitting it. So yeah, I, I don't know. I think it's a, I think it's a scenario that's probably not going to happen.
2: Yeah. I mean, this, the chances are really slim, but it, it would be good business decision for the Yankees to explore that if they have decided they can't re-sign him for whatever reason.
3: If they were moving on and it was the right, yeah, if they were moving on, then yeah, go for it.
2: I think if Tanaka hits free agency next year and is asking and and is on the open market, I see a real possibility where the Yankees move on from him.
3: I do too. I do too. It just depends on how how he pitches next year. if they're
2: going to just lose him, why not lose him and get some prospects back?
3: Again, it has to be the exact right deal. That's the problem. I think that's the big, that is a huge problem. That's, that's not just a small problem. That's a massive problem. That no trade clause sure. is there for a reason.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, next one is from Danny, and he says, Can Cashman be forgiven for the Salarte Headley trade? With a lot cheaper third baseman, maybe the team would be under the luxury tax and be in a better position. And I know we also have a voicemail from our friend Joe's McFly. Uh, so let's play that now, and then we will talk about the Headley stuff.
4: Hey, how are you doing? This is Joseph, a.k.a. atJoseMcFly on Twitter. I was just giving you a call, man, just to be able to say that um, phenomenal interview last week with Brendan Curry. Um, There was one thing that he was talking about on there, about who are you going to really replace uh, Chase Headley with. Of course, you know, for much of the disdain that Andrew has for him, you know, I did find an idea of who would replace him. I think somebody like a Luis Valbuena would be great because he's so versatile. He could be able to play different positions. He does want more of a, an ability to play every day, but to give him a chance at third, I think he could be able to do the uh, do the job. Um, Trading Gardner would be great too because it'll open up another spot. Uh, so you could have Judge, Mason Williams, and even um, Aaron Hicks and see what they got in the outfield battle for the three uh, for, for the two open slots. Until you know, hopefully Clint uh, Frazier is ready. What do you guys think about that? I mean, I think that's a really good idea if we're going to trade Chase Headley. Maybe we might be able to get under the the luxury tax this year and maybe go heavy pitching market, you, Darvish, and uh, Shihani Otani. I think I mispronounced it or whatever, uh, next year. By the way, man, you guys, thank you so much. I really do appreciate uh, the podcast and what you guys do, you know, for the Yankee fans. Um, guys, you guys gave me, you know, fantasy when it comes to fantasy. I only got seven fantasy ba- uh, uh, football wins, but you guys as hosts gave me two of them, and I really do appreciate it. I mean, that in itself deserves a five-star rating in iTunes, so everybody listening to this, please go to iTunes, give a five-star rating, because I don't know any other podcast that is just going to give out free W's on, in, in fantasy football man so I really do
2: appreciate it and go Yankees okay so uh thank you for the voicemail and and I love the plugs there at the end of that voicemail from Joe
3: yeah Joe Joe's one of our uh one of our very loyal listeners and and uh and and definitely hits us up on Twitter that was his second call his his, the first one his his son (laughs) grabbed the phone because he wanted to talk to us but uh so Joe's thanks man for for the call and and definitely the love it's it's you know Look, I'm the, I'm one to look at the at that trade, and when you look at what Headley did in in San Diego and what they thought they were getting, it seems like they they got, you know, uh, well, it is what they got. They got a, a complete falsehood of the player that Headley was. So, you know, maybe we should actually take more blame into the way that the Yankees scouted him because Cashman had to get his information from the guys he trusts, and I'm not so sure those guys are still with the system.
2: I have no problem with the Headley for Salarte trade. Did anyone really think Jan Hervis Salarte was going to turn into the solid player that he has? And did anyone really care that they were losing him? Headley was pure upside. He was a veteran third baseman. They needed that at the time. And he actually was fairly clutch for them at the end of 2014. Mm-hmm. My problem is Cashman's assessments of him and giving him a four-year contract, thirteen million dollars a year. Because if you look at the numbers, Headley's two fifty-seven hitter, a seven fourteen OPS guy. He's hit thirty-one home runs since joining the Yankees, and he's getting paid thirteen million dollars each year. Yeah, but Salarte, on the other hand, has produced the same amount and making minimum minimum salary.
3: Okay, but I mean, this is all numbers that we know now. When you're when you're playing devil's advocate to what you just said, you're looking at. What Headley did the year before, and you're saying, okay, now I'm getting a guy who's trending up. This is a guy that is is getting into the the best years of his career. We're gonna lock him in for four I years, don't think thirteen that's million dollars. He was in
2: his thirties. He didn't have a great year in 2014 or 2000. Uh, uh, Thirteen, I think 2012 was his MVP caliber season.
3: The, the fact is that I think what Cashman thought he was getting, the bag of goods that he thought he was getting, is not the same guy. I mean, he's, Headley is still a, a, a very decent role player for as much crap as you give him and talk about how we should accept mediocrity and all these things i mean not every single guy on this roster can be a a superstar so there need to be role player type guys and I,
2: i would rather headley just be the worst piece of crap in the world at least then it's uh it's more hateable he's just so average it's he's so average it's infuriating
3: but that's the thing. You're going to have guys who are average on your team. You have to. That's why you're number five starters. I mean, you can't have every position uh, an all-star. It just doesn't – it's not realistic. It's not what, when what team, can happen.
2: You can have average role players when your team is good. But but uh, when you see Chase Headley up there in the but, five slot but that's or the, the four problem. slot in but, certain games and he's and he's just completely mediocre and really, really bad for, for long stretches – then it gets really, really annoying and infuriating. So
3: I think you just hit it on the head on who you need to blame, and it's not Chase Headley. It's not Chase Headley, because this team was supposed to be a hell of a lot better than it was when Chase Headley—Chase Headley was not supposed to be in the five spot. That's not where he was supposed to be. He was supposed to be hitting in lower in the in the batting order, playing a solid third base, and doing his job. That That's it. You know, you get rid of the, the horrible beginning of the season that he had, because— you know, we all know what that was. I mean, the guy was respectable for the rest of the year. So if these other guys are playing well around him, we're not talking about Hedley as much as we are now, and you're not complaining about him as much being a, an average guy as you're saying, okay, this guy was, was uh, you know, a formidable third baseman. He played uh, – because he, he did play a pretty good third base last year. The year before that was – it was weird. But last year he was – No, it wasn't weird. He kept airmailing air throws. Yeah, that's weird. The way he threw was weird. <laughs> it was so over the top. It was weird. But the fact I is, think... Solerte was not good at the end of that when we first no, traded him. He, was, he, he had a great start not, of that year. It was, what year I don't was care that? about
2: the trade. I care about the signing. Just like, again, it's not Cashman's trading that is a problem. It's his signings that are a problem.
3: Well, I just, uh, I, I'm not to the, I don't think when you get a guy for $13 million a year, this day and age, that you're expecting, you know, a, a prolific all-star. You're just not. You're not expecting what he did in the first month of the season. But I
2: think he Damn. is kind of expecting what he, at the end of the year. Thirteen million doesn't buy you what it used to. No,
3: it doesn't. God, no, it doesn't.
2: <laughs> I think Headley has a really punchable face, and that annoys me.
3: I just think you don't like him at all, and for some, I don't. There's, there's a the whole other, uh, there's something there. I'm gonna figure it out what it is.
2: Maybe we'll get this is like therapy. Yeah, there's
3: something going on. Like he looks like somebody from your past. <laughs> <laughs> I don't
2: know. Maybe he does. Yeah. Maybe,
3: maybe we should analyze out. this.
2: Uh, Joe in the voicemail asked about Luis Valbuena who's currently a free agent, um, that would just, to me, be like replacing a problem with a problem.
3: Yeah, I don't think about when is the, the answer there. I mean, I think some of the appeal, people talk about him, that he's a, he's, he's got some flexibility in where he could play in the field. Well, we already have guys who have flexibility. We need a third baseman. <laughs> we need a guy who can play third base and stay there. I think the the flexibility thing is is a little overrated at this point.
2: Yeah, but uh, Brandon Cuddy last week said that Headley's a really nice guy.
3: He is a nice guy, and that's what, when we had Ref Snyder on, he was talking about what a what a great guy he's been in helping all the young guys. He's been one of the the mentors. Maybe,
2: maybe if the Yankees make the playoffs this year and they get into a rain delay in Game 7 of the World Series, he can give a really inspired speech like Jason Hayward did.
3: He's not making Jason Hayward money. Don't put him in that category. That's some that's some big money busts right there. You like uh, can't be a bust if you win a World Series, though.
2: All right, final question. What do we what do we got next?
3: So this is from uh, Brian Cohen, Brian DC five eight nine on Twitter. Which of the Yankee top prospects do you see winning Rookie of the Year this year?
2: So let's just say that one of them is going to win the Rookie of the Year. Who do you think it would most likely be? We have to obviously exclude Gary Sanchez because he ex- he went over his at bats. Greg Bird can't win it. Because it's 130 at-bats, excludes you from rookie eligibility, and 50 innings pitched. So, also, Luis Severino is over his innings limit.
3: So, we have to look at opportunity. Opportunity. Opportunity is knocking for one Mr. Aaron Judge. If Aaron Judge, you know, trends to what he's done in the minor leagues, has that slow start to each level. He's proved that he's done that, but also proved that he can make those adjustments and come out and... Make those adjustments to a positive note and start contributing at each level. Then, Aaron Judge is the guy who's going to trend in that direction and could be eligible for that.
2: Yeah, he's the most likely scenario because I think he there's a uh, there's a way in which I could see him hitting 30 home runs next year. He's, He'll strike out 215 times, but he could hit 30 home runs. And if you have a outfielder rookie who hits 30 home runs, that's a pretty good shot at winning the Rookie of the Year.
3: Yeah, no doubt. He's going to get the opportunity. Um, That's for sure. And
2: he's the most likely one to get the full-time playing opportunity. As much as Tyler Austin had a solid couple months last year, he's not getting full-time playing duties.
3: You know, it's so funny when you look at what our prospects are now and, and, and uh, you know, kind of just into the future and what we expect for next year and the year after that. I feel like Aaron Judge is being very much overlooked, because before well, he's 24,
2: 25 years old.
3: I know, but before we got Clint Frazier and Gleyber Torres, the the two guys that we talked about all the time, actually three guys. It was uh, it was Aaron Judge, it was uh, Jorge Mateo, and Rob Refsnyder. He was the he was the third guy that we were talking about quite frequently because he was the most ready to come up. And one, nobody talks about Russ Snyder anymore. He's not even he's not even on the on the radar as a prospect for anybody. Um,
2: can't win Rookie of the Year.
3: And well, yes, but the uh, but Aaron Judge I think is getting very much overlooked. And I, I think if Aaron Judge he's a huge wild card. Dare I say X factor? Oh yeah. of no. uh, going into next season if this guy were, were to come up and actually you know make those adjustments and start producing and like you said hit thirty home runs and maybe hit two sixty. Uh, he's going to strike out a lot. That's going to happen. That's it's almost a given at this point. But if he becomes a guy that that's doing those type of things, I mean, this this is a very different a very different team with with uh, with right-handed pop, uh, a, a guy in right field who's a monster, got a huge arm, uh, good defender. I mean, he's so athletic for his size. I, I think he could really change the 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 way that this team projects if he does come out and and actually overcomes those barriers.
2: Maybe the newest Yankee Matt Holiday will will teach him his ways of veteran veteran leadership and veteran plate discipline and, and Aaron Judge will turn into a more contact hitter.
3: I kinda like it, you know. Holiday is a big dude, what, six four, six five, he's a monster. He's a he's a big dude. So, you know, he can relate to the sense of having a big strike zone and uh, yeah, you know, maybe shortening that swing a little bit more. I, I, I like that. I think it's a
2: Holiday I bet Holiday uh, could still tear it up in the gym.
3: Oh dude, there's a there's a couple pictures. If you look on our Bronx Pinstripes page, uh Instagram page, and uh, we got tagged in a in a picture by a guy who was his trainer at at uh St. Louis. He's a monster. He's huge. When you look when you see him in the gym in a t-shirt, the guy is huge.
2: All the Yankees have been posting workout videos this off-season. Fraser, uh Sanchez, yeah. Didi, Castro. I mean, this team's full of meatheads and I don't hate that.
3: No, it's awesome. It's it's everybody's gotta and they're all competing, I feel like, with who's got the best workout video. It's awesome.
2: Uh Sanchez posted one of him running on the beach with a parachute. It was so slow.
3: It was so so (laughs) slow. (laughs) I saw that I was like, dude, that's not I mean, yeah, that's cool. I feel
2: like barely a trot. I feel like they should have that was his home run trot. He was doing his home run trot. I
3: feel like they should have sped that up a little bit. If I'm his PR guy, uh, I'm speeding that up. Just like, you yeah, know, like, definitely. like 10%. I laughed out loud when I saw it. Yeah, I did too. You know what else
2: I laughed out loud about uh, this past week? Did you see that video A Rod posted of A Rod Corp? And it was just a montage of him signing stuff with like slow motion and, and music playing in the background.
3: I didn't see that one, but I did see oh the I did see like the, the walkthrough of his house and going through like the hallway, then you see his like obnoxiously nice living room, and then you walk out to this backyard through <laughs> through an entire wall of glass, and you see like five pools and and just like furniture that's never used, and then an A Rod hat. An A-Rod Corp and A-Rod Corp. A Rod Corp, A-Rod Corp, Corp here, is
2: the merch is now available. Well, it took them a year. Yeah, um, We're in the merch game, too. So BP Corp shirts coming at you soon. Uh, coming to a website near you.
3: Can we do BP LLC? Because that is what <laughs> that is. What we are. That's
2: what we are. Yeah. But
3: it doesn't sound as good. <laughs> doesn't sound as good. BP LL Corp. I don't
2: know. LL Corp. Yeah. There we go. Um, I had one more thing to say about, about this question from Brian. Uh, yeah. Ju- judge is definitely the leader in the clubhouse. Yeah. Um, any any wild cards you want to throw in there, and some of these other guys, uh, Jonathan Holder, Ben Heller, maybe Frazier if he comes up sooner rather than later.
3: I think Frazier's um, the wild card. I think Frazier Frazier controls his destiny. I believe in the way that he plays early in the season. If he comes out of the gate hot and the Yankees are are trending like they're 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 playing well well enough to you know to to be very competitive, and they have a guy who's just lighting up AAA and lit up spring training, then he's going to get the call up sooner than later. So uh, I don't, if Brett Gardner is on this team, he's not going to block him. uh, If he is that, if he's letting it up that much, I I think Frazier's a wild card.
2: Yeah. And something you said also got me thinking you you jokingly said, judge is the X factor. And I have not labeled an X factor on this team yet, so I got to really do some thinking. Maybe, maybe I'll write about that, or we'll talk about that on next week's podcast. Because you know, it's a tradi- it's a tradition. Yes. I need to name somebody an X factor. And
3: Mark Deschere is no longer on this team, so there needs to be a a, a new person. And I I don't Again, know if you could do it this early, though.
2: Fantastic call by me. No, it's it's got to be something done in like January. February. Yeah, it's
3: it's pretty early at this point because we don't really know who's going to be on the team. There's a lot yeah. of decisions still to be made.
2: Yeah. All right, good stuff. So uh, I hope everyone out there has a very lovely Christmas. Next time we talk to you, we'll be in between Christmas and New Year's. Scott, any last words before we get out of here?
3: Just Happy New Year. Uh, Actually, uh, Happy New Year. I'm getting way ahead of myself. This is is not even Christmas yet. I hope everybody has a happy holiday. And, uh, again, thanks for rating and reviewing us. Tell your friends. Tell your friends. Tell your family. Talk about this over the Christmas dinner. There we go. And happy Hanukkah to all my fellow Jews. Happy
0: Hanukkah
3: Hey guys, thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show, we'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it, and go Yankees.